You're listening to Pastor Rory Rogers as he teaches through the book of Romans. If you have your Bibles ready, let's join him now. Still morning for another 25 minutes or so. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, could you lift your hand up? We'll get a Bible to you. Um, we do have a lot of the scriptures on the screen. We're going to go through a longer passage in Corinthians that uh, you'll want to have a Bible in front of you. So if you don't have one, no shame, uh, but we've got extras to give you if you need one. <clears throat> and uh, we are in Romans chapter 12 this morning, and we're going to read verses 1 through 13 and uh, focus today on verses 7 through 9. Let's go ahead and stand and we'll read the text together. It says this, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another." Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, and honor giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in the spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Let's pray. We're just aware this morning of what a holy moment this is, where the word of God is spoken to us. Your very revelation from creator to creature of who you are and what you require of us. Lord, we pray that as that Old Testament passage says, that, that we would uh, love justice and love mercy and walk humbly with our God. And Lord, that is these very words that were inspired by the Holy Spirit are declared in our midst that a very real work of your Spirit would be working in our midst. Change us, Lord. We know that we've not arrived, and we know that there's still shaping and molding that needs to take place in us. And Lord, we pray that you'd build your church this morning in Romans 12. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. You'll remember as we've been studying uh, chapter 12 so far that uh, we're, we're studying the outworkings of the Holy Spirit in the lives of those who have uh, partaken of the mercies of God. 
Uh, and so there's practical outworkings now that are taught to the church in Rome and taught to we are, who are in Primeville as well. And uh, in chapter 12, there's a division of three sections. Uh, the first section being in verses 1 and 2, uh, where we see the worship of God taking place, or upreach, as we've uh, termed it, uh, upreach, that in light of the mercies of God, we would be presenting our bodies as worship instruments to him. We'd be presenting them as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is a logical, reasonable, spiritual service or act of worship to the Lord. That worship continues on that we wouldn't, in verse 2, be transformed, or excuse me, conformed to this world or squeezed into the world's mold, but rather we would be transformed and metamorphosized uh, by the renewing of our mind in the word of God. So this upreach, this worship to the Lord, it's all in response to the mercies of God we see there in verse 1. But upreach, this worship, will lead to inreach. Or worship will lead to witness, uh, as we've studied. And in that inreach, each one of us, being part of the body of Christ, will serve the body of Christ, serving each other, building the body up for the glory of God. And that inreach will lead to outreach. All right? So we've, we've got upreach, inreach, and outreach, or worship, witness. Or wit and finally witness to the world. Okay, so we're in this second section of the chapter, verses 3 through 13, dealing with the witness, dealing with the inreach to the body, the serving of the body or the church of Christ. In chapter 12, Paul has moved from the indicative of doctrine to the imperative of practical outworkings of the faith. He gives the Romans instruction, which has in mind Christian discipleship. And this inreach is all part of Christian discipleship. Romans 12 has been called Paul's discipleship handbook or his mentorship manual. And so you all, including myself, are going to be mentored uh, in chapters 12 through 16. These verses are at the core of what it means to be a Christian. And we studied last week just the beginning of this picture or this illustration that Paul uses of the body, the human body. And it's a metaphor of the church, all right? Uh, we see this throughout the New Testament in various passages, so please bear with the review from last week. Uh, we see it in Ephesians chapter 4, where we read in verse 15, and uh, you can flip over there in your Bibles if you're, if you're not there. Ephesians, just a few books over to the right. We've got Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, and then Ephesians. So <clears throat> a few books over to the right. Chapter 4, verse 15, where we read that in speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. So if the church is a body, who's the head? 
Christ, the, the, the source of intellect, the source of information, the source of nourishment, the real um, information center and, and nervous center of the whole body is Christ. And from him, the whole body is joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share or contributes, causing growth of the body for the edification of itself in love. So we see there's this human body pictured, and the head of it is Christ, and then every other part of this body or member of this body, if you will, uh, is, is one of you. One of you are, you know, is the thumb. One of you is the elbow. One of you is that big toe that gives such balance. And one of you is the little toe that also counterbalances that. You know, and, and all throughout, um, you know, uh, the church, there are members that have a specific function. We see that we are knit together, joined and knit together there in Ephesians. We see that every joint supplies something. That word joint means it's someone that's attached is what it's speaking to. If you're attached to this church, you should be supplying something to this church. We see there in Ephesians 4 that every part does its share or contributes. And this is just good admonition. This is good exhortation. This is good correction where you need to ask yourself, am I doing my share at Calvary Chapel of Crook County? Am I contributing? Am I part of causing growth of the body? And then we see for the edifying or for the building of the church. So just this picture of the body is very practical. It has so many practical implications and application. We have uh, another place in the New Testament where Paul uses this body picture. Uh, and you can look in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 27. This is going to be a bit lengthy, but it's good. It's so good. We glean something here. And in the study today, and as we read this, there's review for us. We want to remember who distributes gifts, okay? And, and the whole context of all this is that each one of us is a member, we're a body part, we have gifts, and we're going to be using those gifts. And so in the study today, and you'll remember from yesterday, you just want to be thinking, okay, who gives the gifts? Who gives them? Who kind of decides what part of the body I am? Is it the pastor or the elders of the church, you know, is it my home group leader? Is that who, you know, kind of distributes this? And, and I want you to, as we're reading it, just put notes like, oh, this is who distributes it. Okay, but then we also want to look at what is the purpose of this gift? What is the purpose of being this body part? Okay, and so you might underline that and just put purpose as we go through the word today. And finally, uh, what are the specific Gifts and what are the specific parts? And you'll want to note those and their function today. So just make mental notes of that or just in your Bible. And as we read 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4, it says, There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. Did I say uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 4? That's where we're at. Okay. I have a typo on my notes. So I just wanted to make sure. 
1 Corinthians 12, 4. They're diversities of gifts, but the same spirit, all right? So, you know, if, if you have a, this gift, it doesn't mean you have the spirit of the buffalo living in you, you know, that's helping you to do. No, like the gifts of the spirit are um, of the Holy Spirit. There's one Holy Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. So what are these gifts given for? You'll want to make a note in your Bible. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healings by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So here is a list of the gifts, uh, some of them, not exhaustive. Uh, Romans will have a few other gifts listed. Ephesians 4 has a few other gifts listed. Um, this is not concise. This is just an example of some of the gifts. Good recommended read for you guys is uh, the book Living Water by Chuck Smith. We've gone through it as uh, the Pulse prayer meeting. And uh, Chuck Smith just goes through each verse and examines it in the word and, and its function, how it should be used decently and in order. Uh, and it's a, it's a great read for you guys. And I uh, encourage you, it's in the church library. You can check it out. Uh, it's called Living Water by Chuck Smith. Uh, and then we get into verse 12. Uh, for as the body is one... And has many members, but all the members of that body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews, Greeks, slaves, or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? Or if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? You can almost just sense a little humor in Paul as he's writing and talking about a, a body that's nothing but a giant eyeball or nothing but a giant nose, a big ear, you know. Uh, it's, it's humorous, but there's great practical implications from this. But now, verse 20, indeed, there are many members in one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. For God composed the body, having given greater honor to the part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, no division, no lack, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you, Prineville, Calvary Chapel of Crook County, are the body of Christ and members individually. 
I added that in case you were wondering. You're like, wow! God knows us by name. Well, he does. And this is his word for you today. We studied this in depth last week, and so I encourage you to listen to the teaching if you weren't here. But just this portrait given to us of the body of Christ, yet members individually. In Hebrews chapter 10, 25, we read that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some. And rightly, we have read that and said that means we're not to miss church. And that's good. That's just not entirely it. It's good that we don't miss out on fellowship and koinonia and our time worshiping God together and fellowshipping together. That's right. But that's not the whole meaning here. We looked last week that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And that really speaks of the building up of ourselves together as you would assemble a swing set and build it up and put it together in each piece of the swing set set fitting into its place to make the whole thing function rightly for the children, rightly and safely and and useful. And that's really what the assembling is speaking together. And there's a manner of some to not be part of the assembly, not part of the gathering, not part of the using your gifts and being part of the local fellowship of believers. And the writer of Hebrews says, you know what, that shouldn't happen, but it really shouldn't happen as you see the end coming. It shouldn't happen back in the Apostle Paul or Apollo, so whoever wrote the book of Hebrews. But it really shouldn't happen as you see the end coming. Man, if we don't live in the end days, you know, I hate to see what the end days are going to look like. If we don't, you know, if these aren't signs of the times, what we see in Iran and in Israel and in the natural disasters and the things of Matthew 24 and 25, you know, uh, you know I believe we are close to the end, close to the end. I believe we're living in the days where we may see Jesus coming in the clouds with great glory. And so there shouldn't be the forsaking of not only the gathering, there shouldn't be the forsaking of the assembling of ourselves together. You know, the arm shouldn't be off doing its own thing. The eye shouldn't be overdoing its own thing. We should be assembled as this radical superhuman picture of of the body here. And we understand, as was said last week, that... Everyone can't do everything. We do not expect you to do everything. And you shouldn't expect us to do everything. Everyone can't do everything. But everyone must do something. The fruit of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you will move you in light of his great and tender mercies to walk in obedience to all that he's called us to including being part of the body of Christ. So last week we began this section that gets in, you know, a little more in-depth into specific giftings, and we started uh, with the gift of prophecy last week. If prophecy let us prophesy in proportion to our faith, and we studied that, and then, uh, and then this week we pick up looking at some of these specific gift sets here as we look at verse 7, or ministry, or ministry. Let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. And so there's this 
list of gifts and then this interesting explanation that doesn't seem much at first read, something that probably a, an eighth grader might write, you know, like write up something about the gifts. All right, well, if you're in ministry, then minister. If you're in teaching, then teach. If you're, wow, good job, Billy. That was just awesome. That was deep. Well, it, it actually is deep. The simplicity uh, speaks volumes. What in the language and in the context of, of all of this, Paul is essentially saying, don't neglect your gift. Don't neglect your responsibility. Don't miss out on the privilege of what God has called and fashioned and formed and gifted you to be in the local body of believers. Each one of these little short phrases here of, of ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, it contains a warning to us. Essentially saying, if you are going to serve, don't blow the trumpet. Don't do it to feel better about yourself. Don't use it as a stepping stone to get where you want to serve at some point. But rather, just do it. Just use the gift that God has given you. As the King James Version says, uh, it, it tends to speak of this, uh, this ministry or this ministering, to be ministering the word of God, if that is what you're reading, then, then minister the word of God and do it well as a gift that's been given to you. But we want to look at just this first gift that we're at today, this ministry. And in the Greek, it's the word diakonos. Diakonos. Does that, what, do you, where do you, what English word do you think we get from diakonos? Anything come to mind? Perhaps maybe deacon. Maybe that's, you know, just afraid to shout it out. Deacon. It's exactly right. Diakonos. It's, the, it's what ministry is. And it speaks of being a servant. And it's associated with waiting on tables, believe it or not. Now, back in the day, it had to do with your status. If you were a deacon, you were a slave. You were uh, really uh, uh, low class, low value, low worth in the social order. But one incredible thing happened when Jesus came into the world. He began one day to serve by washing the disciples' feet. And Peter was shocked by this. The disciples were shocked by this. Essentially what Jesus was doing was turning the tables upside down and showing that if you want to be great, you need to be a servant. You need to associate with the lowly. As he tells the disciples, as you have seen me do, now do to one another. Get down on your knees and do the dirty, grimy work. Even if you have to get into some guy's toe jam and get the wire brush out and start cleaning some guy's foot that's been wearing sandals, you know, across Israel. You lower yourself and associate with the humble. And Jesus said this of himself in Mark 10, 45, when he said, for even the son of man, that's a reference to Daniel. Daniel called the Messiah, the son of man. He says, even the Messiah did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What we have here is a call in the John 13 foot washing passage. We're here in Mark chapter 10. What we have is a call to a life of service as a Christian. 
everybody is called to serve. But then we get into a specific spiritual gift that Corinthians calls the gift of helps. All right. Uh, And it's this gift of service, a specific gift that goes beyond what just the calling is. Everybody's called to serve, but some people are gifted with these ongoing activities of a practical nature. And when they're doing them, there's just this extraordinary, you know, talent at it. They're empowered to do it. There's exceeding joy when they're doing it. And it's obvious that not only this individual has the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and they're saved and they're serving out of obedience, but the Holy Spirit is actually torrentially pouring himself out on this individual and they are serving in a supernatural way where it's obvious that the Holy Spirit, God himself, is moving right now. And it's powerful when you see it. It's powerful when people are using their spiritual gifts. This goes beyond just being saved. And this goes into uh, a manifestation, as 1 Corinthians says, an appearance of God himself moving in your midst. And so think about sometimes when you see this happening. You know, as we're talking of of a deacon status right now, as we're talking of a practical helps status, Um, or ministering and serving, Um, you know, I love to help people move. You know, I actually look forward to when someone calls and says, hey, I'm going to be moving. I'm like, hey, I'm there. You know, Um, I feel like it's one of the gifts that God has given me. And you can think of some people like that. And you guys have all been there. Someone's moving and there's the guys that show up and they're there because, hey, I love Bill, you know, and he's moving and I'm going to do it, you know. And, and, you know, as he's doing, he's like, all right, I'll help with this thing. And he kind of does it and, you know, I'll do this. And then there's the guy that shows up and he's got like his camel back already on, you know. So he's, he's, I'm not going to take a break to drink water, you know. He's like, I'm just so excited to help move. And he's just got the smile that doesn't leave his face the whole time. And he's in and out of this truck. He's hauling things. He's moving things. He's singing a song as he's doing it. And it's just obvious this guy not only loves me and is here, but the Holy Spirit is like showed up to our moving day. And it's just, it's radical. You know, and you can think of other instances as we're going through these, these gift sets where there, it's extraordinary. There's something supernatural uh, that's taking place. Is there's a difference between a musician and someone that plays music on the worship team and someone that is gifted with a gift of leading people into the throne of God, you know, and taking them into the holy place. And, uh, and I think we see that um, here on our worship team so often. But we have this uh, diakonos, you know, kind of starting out with the serving of tables ministry. You read about it in Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Let's read that, where it says, Now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. There, you know, so there's two sets of people there at the, at the Oasis Soup Kitchen back in the day. Uh, one were full-blown Jews and one were the Greek-speaking, Greek-influenced Jews. And probably all these people had gotten saved and they're part of the church now. And they're being, you know, waited upon. And these Greek-speaking widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out... From among you, seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this 
business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So what you see here in Acts chapter 6 is kind of this first separation of giftings and callings between elder and deacon. You have the elder who's called to shepherd the flock, tend the flock, feed the flock, protect the flock, give himself to the study and the preaching of the word of God, and also to prayer, praying for the flock, being there and praying with the people, those types of things. And these guys that were supposed to be doing that, Peter, James, John, and you know them, they were all over there, you know, making sure that the right amount of macaroni was on each plate, you know, and making sure that the water cup had spilled over. And, and they're not able to prepare to teach the Bible. They're neglecting in their prayer life. They're not able to study. And so they said, it's just not good. It's not that we don't want to be here. It's that God has called us to be this part of the body. And so, it, you know, let's, the Holy Spirit gave them the wisdom to raise up deacons and to appoint Deacons, And so you read of these deacons, and it began with seven men, and you see their, their qualifications there. And 1 Timothy chapter 3 gives us more qualifications. But they were of good reputation. They were full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And they were given charge over the business of serving these tables. We'll see, it went deeper than that. In verse uh, 5, the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, or Stephen, if you like it that way, uh, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them, and then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now, what's amazing is when people were doing their share and contributing in the church, revival happened. When the, when the pastors didn't have to focus on the little tiny things, you know, but the deacons took over that, um, the little practical things that are so important make things work. Things don't work unless that's overseen. But the pastors, the shepherds, the elders, the bishops, it's all the same word. They were able to go and study the word and put effort into that. And when everybody was doing their share, revival happened. And many of the priests even believed. You guys... That's what we see in the body of Christ. When the ministers are ministering, when the deacons are deaconing, the word of God spreads. We see it in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13, where Paul tells Timothy that those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. I like that verse because I've seen it happen in the churches I've been a part of as well as in the book of Acts. For people that are serving in the church, whether they have the office of deacon or whether they're just serving, they will see just increased holiness and purity and passion in their life for the Lord as well as increased evangelistic tendencies. All right, And so let's look at these first, just a couple of these first deacons from Acts chapter 6. You've got a guy named Stephen, who's the first guy listed here. It said that he was full of the Holy Spirit, a man of faith and full of the Holy Spirit, who's faithfully serving at Oasis Jerusalem, right? You know, he's just over there and he's packing the plates and he's got his bib on, you know, or his apron, sorry. Rich wears a bib, but most people wear aprons, you know. Uh, and then he's serving, you know, and he's loving on the people. 
Well, then, because he's prone to boldness now, he's obtained this great boldness, he starts preaching the gospel, and he's arrested by the Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin. So right after chapter 6 comes chapter 7, you know that in the book of Acts, and right after he's appointed to be a deacon, here he is arrested, standing before the Jewish leaders, the very Jewish leaders that tried Jesus, and he opens up his mouth, and he preaches this very long but awesome message on the Jewish history and how it all points to Jesus, but these guys resisted the Holy Spirit and killed the Son of God. They cover their ears, they yell at him, and they drag him out of the city, and they stone him and kill him. So the first martyr for Christianity isn't, you know, one of the 12 disciples, you know, isn't a guy with some great public ministry where he's in the limelight and he's got fog and smoke and some different colored lights coming on him that nobody knows what that's about. You know, it's the guy that's just loving on people tangibly being the hands and the feet of Jesus and the opportunities arise regularly where he gets to open his mouth for God and has this tremendous uh, privilege of being the first martyr for God. It doesn't end there. By the next chapter, you've got Philip, who's one of the first deacons. Later on in the book of Acts, he's titled Philip the Evangelist. But in chapter uh, uh, 7 or 8, excuse me, there's a revival that happens up in the hills of Samaria. They must have needed someone to drive the taco truck up there or the hot dog wagon or something. These people need food as a revival's happening. So Philip goes up there and he's serving people up in the revival. He's a big part of what God is doing. And God says, hey, I need you down in the desert now. And so Philip, you know, goes down to the desert and he sees an Ethiopian eunuch riding in a chariot. Uh, heading back towards Ethiopia, and God says, go overtake that chariot. So he runs down. This is your local oasis leader, all right? The oasis is our soup kitchen in the church. If you guys, why did you keep talking about oasis? You know, we have an oasis. Anyways, he, he runs down. He overtakes the chariot. The guy in the chariot is reading Isaiah 53 and asks him, of whom is this man speaking, of himself or someone else? And as he's on the running boards of the chariot, he says, he's talking about Jesus. And he expounds the scriptures. The Ethiopian eunuch gets saved and baptized there in the desert cistern. And then some crazy Star Trek thing happens where uh, after the Ethiopian eunuch is baptized and opens his eyes, Philip vanishes and is transported back to northern Israel. So, is serving tables worthless, a useless way of your time? No, it is not. Those who serve well as servants, as deacons, obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith. This ministering, this diakonos, by Charles Hodge is referred to as a particular group of officials who were committed the management of the external affairs of the church, the care of the poor, attention to the sick, etc. Luther and many others give this word its wide sense by saying, if a man has an office, let him attend to it. One definition of this diakonos is one who continually organizes and provides for the general and practical needs of the church. And so you might ask, Rory, do we have deacons in our church? The church is just over 10 years old and there's never been the office of deacon. And we as elders have recognized that, that we've fallen short in that area. 
And the Lord's been moving on us to actually make this an office that's recognized as it was in the book of Acts. And so we're going to be meeting about this uh, over the next few weeks to, you know, see who God has been raising up already as deacons. As you guys have heard, when we're looking for elders and pastors in the church, we don't look for some guy that, you know, wants to be called an elder and then he'll start loving people and caring for people. We look for the men that are already doing it, are already visiting people in the hospital, are already leading home groups, are already t- teaching Bible studies, are already tending and protecting the flock and has some kind of stick around to beat the wolves off, you know, as they come around the flock. That's, and we just say, hey, buddy, you're already elding. And so when we lay hands on you, we're just recognizing you're already doing it. And you fulfill the requirements in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 2, Acts chapter 20, 1 Peter chapter 5. It's the same with the office of deacon. You know, we don't just put a sign-up sheet in the foyer and whoever wants to be a deacon, there's going to be a laying hands ceremony next week. Make sure to be there. You know, we say, who are the people that are doing it now? that are already pouring their lives out as Paul on the sacrifice and service of our faith. Men and women who already deaconing. I think of, uh, you know, how the Lord has led Stuart and Alicia to fellowship elsewhere and, and uh, love them and still, you know, you know, there's a big birthday party last night and people were there and that's great. And, and so often though, we have the tendency to think, what if God takes Stuart and Alicia from our church? We'll never worship again, you know? And it's the same as if God takes, you know, I, I remember in Corvallis, God took our worship leader. God took, you know, our youth pastor. God took, and it's like, ah, the church is going to crumble. But God is so faithful. It's his body. It's his bride. And he hasn't left us lacking. And here's this girl named Kendra who, whenever Stuart and Alicia gone, would fill in with joy, just a worshiper. And God has raised her up to be this continually organizing and providing for the general and practical needs of the worship team. And so we wanted to, while we were in Romans chapter 12, we wanted to recognize Kendra, you know, as the, the gal that's overseeing the worship ministry of our church. And God has brought her here for this season, much like he brought Esther to the place she was in, for such a time as this, to lead us as Calvary Chapel into the throne room of God. Different than Stuart, different flavor than Stuart, different flavor than the person that one day will take uh, this spot from her that God will appoint. We're so thankful for her upbringing and for her past and for her training and for her sensitivity to the Spirit In last service, I said, you know, she's not better than Stuart. And I didn't mean like she's not better, you know, talent-wise, nothing like that. What I'm saying is, gosh, she is who God has for us. And she has wonderful giftings, wonderful talents. We're very thankful for her. And uh, and the Lord bringing this uh, woman into our church to uh, continually organize and provide for the general and practical needs of the worship ministry. Uh, I think of the cleaning ministry and how even since I've been here, just God has raised up people who with their gifting, with their time, just give themselves continually for organizing the cleaning of this church on a daily basis to some degree so that these big gatherings, you guys can come and, you know, not have a cracked communion cup right there where you're sitting or not to have a dirty Kleenex or some children's ministry scribble page underneath, you know, but to keep it clean, to make it an enjoyable environment so there's no distractions and you can worship the Lord. I think of the men who are serving and deaconing on the financial board, Ron Halverson and Shelby and Monty and Don Smith, 
along with the elders, but are just using their giftings of financial stewardship to protect our body and to make wise decisions and to distribute to the needs of the saints as those needs arise. Thankful for just the, the gift of administration that God has given Shelby. And, you know, here he is just, he's administrating. He's overseeing the sound and the lights and the sound. You know, he's helping Kendra with the worship team. He's helping with computer and Wi-Fi and network issues. And, I mean, just the giftings that God uh, has given him. I made a list between services to just, kind of, to just recognize and thank the Lord for, um, you know, the hospitality ministry that Gail, you know, just oversaw for so long to love on the church and to, you know, help the needs of the saints. Now, Nikki Wetzel is uh, taking care of that so that when we're in hospitals, when we're having babies, you know, when we break our arm, you know, there's a casserole in the fridge, you know, and there's flowers on the counter and there's people visiting. You know, I think of with that, you know, uh, Jan Smith was an ombudsman and she came to prayer one night with this shirt that in giant is a big black shirt went about down to her knees and it had this pink word ombudsman on it or I'm an ombudsman and I was like what the heck is that you know I was educated that you know an ombudsman is somebody who goes into the nursing homes and makes sure that seniors have their rights and make sure that they're being taken care of and she has you know, done many legal battles for the rights of seniors, but God called her. She came, she was wearing that shirt, and she goes, Rory, God has called me out of being an ombudsman and just fighting for the rights of seniors and to go around and fight for the rights of the people in our church and to just visit them. And just who, you know, with Barb, who can we go visit and just love on? And just, these are people that are deaconessing. Just going around, you know, and you'll get a doorbell ring, you know, and it's not the J Dubs, it's the ombudsmans of our church. You know, the women's ministry for hope and her faithful service, and, you know, with her distance and things, she stepped down from that. And right now we're really praying, waking up early, long meetings, reasoning and wrestling through what God has for the women of our church. And, uh, and you can pray for that, and we're discussing that at every elders' meeting. Um, what God has and, and specific vision and exciting stuff uh, for the women. But, you know, in this season, women, be patient. You know, these overseers of the church, we're, you know, we were overseeing a lot, but we are prayerful and mindful of women's ministry. Same with youth ministry. Uh, if those of you that have helped with the youth ministry, that you have a bulletin in your hand because of these people that maybe aren't office of deacon, but are deacon, they're serving every week. I'm going to print a bulletin. I'm going to fold it in half, you know, a hundred something bulletins that I just fold in half. Why? So that people can get plugged into our body and be part of this body, lest there be, you know, some giant middle toe off by himself, you know, making the body trip up and stumble. The office ministry and Gail Halverson, so thankful for her volunteer service for a small Starbucks drink once a week, you know, uh, Thankful for the children's ministry, Anthony and Barb in the nursery, just taking a lot of their spare time to make sure our kids are fed the word of God and the gospel. And God's been giving us great vision on how to serve and protect our children back there as many disciples. Um, the Helping Hands ministry with Nate, just giving up Saturdays and getting moving crews together uh, to build wheelchair ramps or to move storage units out or things like that. Set up church on Sunday morning in the park. 
uh, for the sound crew that so often if there's a, a loud note or a, a slideshow that doesn't come up right, you know, people give the glance back. They're like, what's wrong with you? You know, and he's just like, I just woke up early to be down here to help you guys, you know, but deaconing, serving, isn't it exciting to hear of hands being hands and eyes being eyes and, you know, arms doing the arm thing? We would be so uh, lacking without them. The ushers getting communion ready, the greeters just being there at the door to give you a, you know, just to welcome you and let you know you're loved and it's noticed that you're here. The oasis and Rich overseeing that as well as um, the outreach into the community and just obvious the First Timothy 3 passage is true. God's given Rich such an evangelist heart. The pantry that is here for our church, that if you're lacking in paper products or cleaning supplies in, in your home, you can't afford those things right now. There's people that stock this cupboard back behind the prayer room and gives it that great, you know, downy fresh smell back there finally. But for you guys, there's people that do that. I'm going to come during the week with a bag of groceries and, you know, make sure there's paper plates for the families that have paper plates. That's so cool. That is so exciting. The 242 host homes uh, and, and leaders, the outreach uh, teams and the financial board, all those things, just very thankful. And this was just between services, you know, just trying to be a little more thoughtful, not wanting to miss, but probably missed people. But just know this is exciting. You know, it's the body of Christ functioning as it was ordained for the body of Christ to function. And so if you are a diakonos, whether by office or whether without the office title, then be a diakonos in your ministering. Let you minister. In the teaching there in chapter 12, we are again. That's talking like Yoda. There in chapter 12, we are again. In your teaching, fully communicate the truth of the gospel. That's the purpose of the teacher so that we can learn. The result of a teacher using his gifts is that learning is taking place under his tutelage. It's not so that the teacher can enjoy teaching and fulfill, be fulfilled in teaching, or so people can say, wow, you're such a great teacher, but rather so that people can learn about Jesus and be made disciples. Pastors and elders are to have the gift of teaching, be called to teach have this ability to communicate the gospel and protect the truth. Verse 8, he who exhorts an exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Now, exhorting is a sharp encouragement. It's a spiritual gift. It's a spurring on and a call to action. We read of a man in the book of Acts who had this gift. His name was Joseph. But as he was in the church and doing his thing and helping serve, he was a giver, we read. His buddies in the church started calling him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Son of encouragement. I mean, this guy must have really been an exhorter. You know, we see in Acts chapter 15, his, his nephew, um, you know, bailed out on a missions trip, you know, as it was just starting after they traveled some hundred miles and that really bummed Paul the apostle out and, and Barnabas, the son of encouragement, stood up for his nephew and fought zealously for his nephew. So much so that the mission team split up and went two separate ways and God was in that. But man, the church needs people who are sons of encouragement, but sons of exhortation 
as well. Teaching and exhortation are both pastoral gifts. Directed to, uh, a teaching is directed to minds where exhortation is directed and addresses emotions and hearts and wills. Charles Hodge says teaching is addressed to the understanding, encouragement to the conscience and feelings. And so we don't want to just give you understanding here in this church, but in our preaching and in our exhortation, we want the conscience and your hearts and your emotions and your feelings to be pricked by the Holy Spirit as well. Douglas Moo says this is the activity of urging Christians to action, to live out the truth of the gospel. It's been said that teaching provides the information and exhortation says, let's do something with the information. Lest we be like the guy in the book of James who stands in front of the mirror and sees all of his flaws and sees what kind of man he is and the pimple and the blemish and the hair out of place. And then he walks away from the mirror and immediately forgets what kind of man he is. So is he who is not a doer of the word, but is a hearer only. And how the gift of exhortation is needed, not just on the pastoral staff of this church. Teaching lays out the map before us. But exhortation says, let's go there. Teaching lays out the map and says, here's the treasure. Here's the treasure, you guys. And then the son of encouragement comes along and says, let's go to the treasure. It's not a gift of condemnation, but it is a gift of spurring the flanks of the balking horse. I've experienced that in my few years as a buckaroo in Lake County. Those Mustangs, you know, that you adopt from Nevada that just, they need a spur, all right? We need to be spurred, spurred in love. Three weeks we'll be here, and, and this is week two, two and three quarters, just to encourage you a little bit. We will be in this section of Romans that says, there is inreach on your part to the church. And if you are not connected to the body, you are out of place. You're not contributing. You're not sharing. For some, not all, you're a consumer Christian. And that is not the Christian of the church. All right? Some people, you're, you're just, you know, you're new. You're trying to figure out if this is your place. And you know that. That's great. So yeah, you might, the Lord's like leading you over to another church. That's totally fine. I understand that, and everybody does. But if this is your church, then contribute, then share, and hear from the exhorter that says, here's the map, guys. And the map is telling us, by the mercies of God, offer your bodies up as a living sacrifice to God. You're not doing it. Do it. Let's do it. We're in chapter 12, verse 3 through 13, guys. And it's saying, use your gifts in the church. And if you're not, then we are a body without an arm. And we just have a stump there. We are a body with an eye patch. We are a body without teeth. And perhaps we can sure run fast, thanks to the Helping Hands ministry, but we're gumming our food. Because all of our teeth are gone, frolicking about the country. And the exhorter says, come back together and assemble. Anything else is sin. 
And by saying that, it's just not what God has designed. And anything else needs to be corrected in love, and anything else needs to be repented of. It's a military term, these exhortations. And studying the 101st Airborne, you know, just kind of a military freak, and reading the Band of Brothers books, and getting to meet Don Malarkey, and, you know, understanding some of this military tactics. Read a story of the 101st Airborne and the, the company E, Easy Company in this uh, group, and how after D-Day, after they jumped into Normandy, France, and fought their way through France, they came a few days later to a little French village called Carentan. And the only way in was through this road that went through a field. And so Easy Company goes marching up this road to take the city, and machine gun fire opens up on them and just starts wiping guys out. And so everybody jumps into the, the ditches and the crevices on the side of this road, and the machine gun could just spot them. The artillery guy knew right where they were. They're taking artillery. They're just they're getting obliterated. But one of their commanders, name was uh, Richard Winters, he stood up in the midst of these guys, and machine gun bullets going everywhere, and he runs up to these guys, and he starts picking them up and hitting them with his helmet and kicking them and running in the midst of the fire and saying, get up, you guys are going to die here. You know, you're, you're sitting ducks out here. Let's go. Let's take care in ten. And, and eventually these guys saw the courage of their leader saying, follow me, let's do it. And finally they got up out of the ditches and they ran in and they, t- they took the town. But every one of those guys writes down in, in, these, in these memoirs, I couldn't believe that our leader was standing up in the midst of the machine gun. And he was saying, follow me. It's not easy. I might die in leading, but I'm not going to ask you to do something that I myself won't do. I mean, it'd be one thing if he was laying there in the trench and he's like, you guys get up there. I got to make a phone call, you know. And so in our exhortations, you guys, and when we say be part of gospel community, be parts of the home groups, be parts of the pulse, be parts of the various ministries, We as the leaders and we as the deacons, we're not asking you to do anything that we ourselves won't do. Okay, we lead by example. So let's act by the mercies of God. Let's act. Another gift, the gift of giving. Do it with liberality or generosity, it says there. Contributing to the needs of others in generosity The same word there of generosity, it's the same word, but Ephesians has it translated in chapter 6, verse 5, as sincerity of heart. When you give, whether it's financially or a big cost of your time, the Holy Spirit, the gift, will manifest itself in no hidden agenda, no other motives, a sincere heart in your giving. There's no grudging. Like, man, I need a... We need a, a room for the night, or we need a hotel room. All right, here's 65 bucks. Just want you to know, not happy about it. It's my spiritual gift, though, to give, so, you know, it's not what the language is saying. Or, hey, just remember, next time I need a hotel room, I'm expecting it, you know. No grudging obligation, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 tell us, no ulterior motives. But we give, and the praise goes to God. If we give and we enjoy the praise, there is a danger there. We remember Ananias and Sapphira, who made a a big gift, held some of it back, but made it seem like they gave more than they gave, and they wanted the praise. 
and it ended in their death. They were an example to the whole church that genuine philanthropy builds a building without your name on it. Doesn't have to be a lot of money, as we know from the woman who put in more than everybody else, as in Mark chapter 12, verse 44. Everyone else put in out of their abundance, but this woman, she put out of her poverty all that she had, her whole livelihood. And so maybe you are a giver of hundreds of thousands of dollars, or maybe you're a giver of a penny a month, but you're given all your heart when you do it. And when you do it, even God himself looks and says, look at the heart of this widow. Give with a singleness of mind, not to get something back. When you lead, lead with zeal. This could refer to the office of elder in the church or leading in a deacon capacity. It could speak to you leading in your home or your organizations or your business that you're a part of. But when you do it and you cry out for the gift of leading, the fruit of the spirit, the manifestation will be that you'll have zeal. You'll have eagerness. You'll have diligence in your leadership. You won't be frustrated that you're called upon to lead. Frustrated, you, you know, 242 group and, you know, people are late again and it's just all I can bear to just do this 242 group again. You know, or a children's ministry to lead uh, your family. There should be eagerness. There should be diligence. Leading is serving, First Peter 5 tells us. We don't lead as elders. We don't lead with a rod of iron. But we're examples to the flock, like Peter is telling the shepherds. We lead by serving. There's a contrast of inactivity and carelessness in your leadership giftings. When you show mercy, and this is the final gift here for, for today. When you show mercy, do it with joy, rejoicing, cheerfulness. Help those in need. Mercy speaks of helping those in need. Caring for the poor, the needy, the suffering. Relieving people who are needy. Orphans, widows. All others who are in distress. And the Holy Spirit, when he gives the gift of mercy, there will be cheerfulness just saturating you because you have the opportunity to show mercy and love and thanks on behalf of the one who could never be loved and thanked enough the Lord Jesus. Because we've been shown mercy, we show mercy. And it's very pastoral insight on Paul's part to say, you need to do it cheerfully. Do it cheerfully. You know, some people, you care for the poor, and that's regular. You care for family members, and some of your parents are getting older, or they are going to be getting older, and you're going to be taking care of them. And it's very easy to become a grudging giver, a, um, a grudging servant, or to do it reluctantly or patronizing. Excuse me, I write these words down in my notes and patronizingly. But Calvin says, as nothing gives more solace to the sick or to anyone otherwise distressed than to see men cheerful and prompt in assisting them. So to observe sadness in the countenance and those whom assistance is given makes them to feel themselves despised. And so when you go to the Ochiko Care Center ministry today, 
to love on the older people in our community. You know, don't do it with bitterness or with a grudging attitude. Don't patronize them. You know, not only is there no reward for you in heaven, but you're actually making these people feel despised. It's the same with you taking care of your, you know, your, your family members that can't take care of themselves. This is all so practical and relevant to us. These adverbs of liberality and zeal and diligence and cheerfulness, these are all signs of life in a Christian. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7 says that we should come short in no gift. May that be true in our church, that whether it's the 1 Corinthians 12 passage or the Ephesians 4 or, 1, or, uh, or here in Romans 12, that we would come short in no gift eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. You can be encouraged because 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 28 says, God's appointed these in the church, apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, gifts of healings, helps, administration, varieties of tongues. And then these very great rhetorical questions are asked. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all gifted teachers? No. Are all workers of miracles? Do all have the gift of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Guys, don't be discouraged if you're not, you know, the gift that maybe gets, you know, attention or things like that. Your gifting is vitally important. Vitally important to the church. Verse 31 says, earnestly desire the best gifts. The best gift is the gift that is needed at that moment, at that time. Question. Hopefully you've gotten it by now to some degree. Why are gifts given? Why should we use gifts? Why do we have anything we have? The way we answer this really shows who we are and what our heart is. So many people in the church would say, well, we're given gifts to make ourselves feel good about ourselves. You know? Or so that we have a place in society, a place in the church. And these are far from being the paramount reasons. We've studied today in 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4 that it's for the building up of the body, right? You should know that. But 1 Peter 4 will show us that it's to manifest the character and the nature of God. They display the character and the attributes of God. In 1 Peter 4.10, and we are just about to close it says, as each one has received a gift, minister it to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. They're speaking gifts and practical gifts. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. Do it in confidence, knowing God is speaking. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability that God supplies. That in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. What is the purpose of the gifts? It's the same as the chief end of man that we would enjoy God and glorify him forever. That God would be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. I love Peter there. He's just given some practical helps on the gifts, and then he just starts worshiping God. He's like, oh, wait, come back to the practical here. So we know that the gifts are for the glory of God, for the unity of the church, for the building up of others, not for our value, our identity, our worth, or for warm, fuzzy feelings or anything like that. Important warning before we close. It's not just the present of gifts 
presence of gifts that shows that a transformation has happened in your life. The use of the gift does not speak to your character, but the motivation of your heart speaks to your character. And only God knows the motivation of your heart. Spiritual gifts doesn't really say anything about you except that God is faithful and gracious. You could be the most gifted person on earth and yet you're ungrateful. You take glory for things that happen when gifts are used. You don't pray over the use of these gifts. And only God knows those things. He knows the heart. And that's why we just come into verse 9, this first little phrase. So let your love be without hypocrisy. Let your serving be without hypocrisy. As 1 Corinthians 13, 1-3 says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, I understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I actually give my body to be burned, but I have not love, it profits me nothing. You guys, in the use of these gifts, let the motivation behind it be twofold love. Love for your God, who's the great giver of gifts, and love for the people. Love for the people he's called you to serve. Worship team can come on up, and as they're coming up, I'll just share a little story uh, that Charles Spurgeon used to share. There once was a king in... Uh, in a land, he was ruling over the land, and everybody loved him. He was a wonderful king. He was compassionate. He was giving. He just ruled with justice. And everyone knew it. Everybody loved him. And uh, there was a farmer in this kingdom that had a great harvest, had a bumper crop one year. And in his crop, this giant carrot grew up. And he just loved his king so much that he took this giant carrot into the throne room of the king and he said, oh, king, I just want you to know that you are good. You just, you're so merciful and you give and you're not harsh and you're so just and uh, you're humble and we just appreciate you. And as a token of our appreciation, here's this giant carrot that grew on my field. And the king took this carrot and said, you know, thanks for the carrot. You know, I know your heart and I know that you gave this just with love. And because of your heart, I'm going to give you tenfold the number of fields that you have so that you can grow more crops for our kingdom, more crops like this. Well, there was a guy in the throne room that heard this whole conversation go down, and he himself was a breeder and a trainer of horses. And he thought, man, if that's the kind of response you get from the king for a stinking carrot, what about like a glorious stallion? And so he brings this best horse that he has into the king's chambers. And he says, look, king, I give you this steed. And the king says, thanks. And the guy says, hey, um, I noticed that with the carrot guy, you know, you gave a whole bunch of fields. What do I get? And the guy, the king said, you know what? You need to understand this. The farmer gave me the carrot, but you gave yourself the horse. The same can be true with the use of our spiritual gifts. We can be doing crazy things like prophesying and interpreting tongues and healing people. 
literally healing people, but be doing it for ourselves, for our own kingdom and for our own glory. And there's that very sobering passage in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23, where Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You know, may our use of gifts be in light of the mercies of God, as verse 1 says. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, use your gifts. If prophecy, if teaching, if ministry, if giving, use it. And use it for the giver. Demonstrate and put on full display the giver and his characteristics and his attributes He is the zealous leader. He is the generous giver. He is the merciful, cheerful judge. And everything we do is in a loving response to him. And so as we come to communion, we take the bread, symbol of the broken body of Jesus for our sins, and the cup, a symbol of the blood pouring out from his wounds. It should have been our body body broken. It should have been our veins spilling the blood. But by his mercy, he took our place. He was the substitution. And his blood is the atonement for our sins. And before you even think of operating in some extraordinary gift, you need to be a receiver of the most extraordinary gift, the gift of God's Son and your place in execution. And so you can just by faith right now receive what Jesus has done for you. Receive his forgiveness of sins. Receive his sacrifice in your stead. By faith, like a little child just receiving a gift. Lord, I, re- I receive forgiveness for my lusts, for my adultery, for my other gods and worshiping them, for my sexual immorality, Lord, I receive the forgiveness that you provide for my lying and my exaggerating and my pride, my puffed up, for my building the kingdom of self. The list can be forgiven and the list can be forgotten, but only in Jesus. And you can receive that right now in your chair where you're at. But that wonderful mercy, it is gonna change your life. It will spur you on to love and good works and to be part of his body and using his gifts. As we take communion, you can thank Jesus for all of that, the greatest gift You can ask for forgiveness for the neglect of spiritual gifts. And as we worship and close, we can ask for more gifts, the gifts that are needed in the church today. And let's receive them by faith today. Just as we sing, just the Lord speaks to you and says, I'm putting on your heart right now that I'm I'm giving you this gift. 
to display me and to build up the church. Receive it and move forward with it. Don't neglect the gifts in you. You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Primeville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write us at P.O. Box 378, Primeville, Oregon 97754, or check us out further at our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.